0: Welcome back to Humans of Purpose. I'm your host, Mike Davis, and each week I bring you conversations with local purpose-driven leaders. Leaders creating social impact through their work and inspiring positive social change across a wide variety of sectors. Sit back, tune in, and enjoy the next 40 minutes guaranteed to inspire you with our signature blend of wisdom, experience, and banter. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com.
1: You know, in lots of ways, I feel very privileged about that quirky, if you like, um, upbringing or, or or start to my life because it gave me a huge. I guess it gave me gave me a lot of different perspectives on how different people live their lives. And you know, I got to grow up in a you know fairly affluent middle class family, but came from, I guess, what you would refer to as kind of working class stock. Um, and I think that helped me a lot in terms of my political outlook and the way I was able to and passionate about uh, relating to people um, right across the Tasmanian community.
0: Fantastic to be back with you here, as always. We are proud to be sponsored by the great folk at Neon Treehouse, who are still the greatest digital agency on the planet Earth. Creole are the official drink of humans of purpose, and their delicious healthy sodas are ideal for the. This week, I'm thrilled to welcome David Bartlett to the podcast. I first met David during a Gaining the Policy Edge training seminar for young public servants making their way in the policy world. We hit it off and he took the time to join me at Pellegrini's for the uninformed, one of the first and still the best coffee and pasta houses in Melbourne, that week for a memorable pasta lunch. To call David's story inspiring would be a huge understatement. David had a humble upbringing, having grown up as a ward of the state, he went on to become Tasmania's 43rd Premier, and after a stellar political career, has now turned his attention to supporting grassroots education and development of young people playing basketball. We talk a fair bit about his work at Swisher Hoops Academy, his wider technology and entrepreneurial interests, and his diverse portfolio of executive and non-executive director roles across tech, management, consulting, peak, and not-for-profit bodies. I'll pop a link to David's LinkedIn profile in the show notes, which is probably the best place to find out about all the great things David is doing. David is just a cracking bloke, and his life and career journey is one of the most interesting we've been privileged to hear on Humans of Purpose. Pay special attention to the way David thinks about his life in horizons or seasons, mapping out a few years to go deep into each of his quests or ambitions. I hope you enjoy this conversation with David as much as I did. So I'm absolutely a bit thrilled to be joined by David Barlow. Welcome to the podcast, mate.
1: Uh, fantastic to be with you, Mike, and uh, to reacquaint after a few years. And, um, you know, say congratulations to you on the great work you're doing with this
0: podcast. Oh, you're too kind. I, I was just reflecting uh, with you before on our last catch-up that I thought was 2005, and you reminded me kindly that you were still Premier at the time, and it was actually that 2015 <laughs> when we... We met um Pellegrini's for a pastor. Um, you were very kind to me um, after you ran the Gaining the Policy Edge um, seminar, which I feel was like a Naus and IPA collaboration. Uh, superb course for those in their public service looking to brush up on their public service skills. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's just been great watching you and sort of go from strength to strength and pursue a range of interests and um, different things. And I think that's why I wanted to connect today was because you're doing so many interesting things across so many spaces. I'm quite enamored with that. Um, So I'd like to dive right into that, but before we do so in uh, traditional humans of purpose style, I'd love you to just walk us through a bit of your journey, your early days and your journey to becoming Tasmanian premier too.
1: Sure. Well, I always liked the um, sort of nice symmetry when I was uh, Premier of Tasmania, the 43rd Premier of the great Australian state of Tasmania, um, to know that I was actually a ward of the state for the first 18 years of my life. So uh, in some ways, I kind of enjoyed that symmetry of, you know, the state was my parent and guardian and brought me up for 18 years, uh, albeit via a, um, uh, a loving and kind foster family. Um and then uh, for a few years there, three and a bit years, I got to be the custodian and guardian of the state in a way as well. And so it was quite a journey from being um, born to a 16 year old uh, Launceston mum who, who um, moved to Hobart to, um, to have me um, you know, in 1968, the, the sort of shame of the family, if you like, um, and not a lot of support for her or her mother, who was um, then, by then a widow herself. And so uh, I was put up for adoption and was fostered to the Bartlett family, where I get my name from, um, but was never legally adopted um, and grew up in the Bartlett family in a pretty middle class, uh, well educated um, family. And I guess in, in lots of ways, that event or those series of events are the things that have most shaped me. And then I would add to that that when I was 19 years old, I got to meet my birth mother and I'm still very close to her. And it's really, you know, in lots of ways I feel very privileged about um, that quirky, if you like, um, upbringing or, or, or start to my life because it gave me a huge, I guess it gave me, gave me a lot of different perspectives on how different people live their lives and, you know, I got to grow up in a, you know, fairly affluent middle-class family but came from, I guess, what you would refer to as kind of working-class stock Um, And I think that helped me a lot in terms of uh, my political outlook and the way I was able to and passionate about uh, relating to people um, right across the Tasmanian community. Um, So I did a, and I guess the one thing that my uh, foster family really instilled in me was the deep understanding that education was the pathway uh, to not only happiness, but to success out of poverty, out of disadvantage, and so on. And that really, that one idea has fueled pretty much everything I've ever done in my life in lots of ways. If we talk about the things I've done consciously around purpose, in lots of ways, that's the purpose, including, you know, as Premier, I was the first um, Premier to hold the Minister for Education portfolio. Um, in 52 years in Australia, across any Australian state, uh, it nearly killed me. <laughs> Being premier and minister for education is too much, and <laughs> I'm not sure I would do it again if I uh, had my time again. Certainly, um, some split
0: personality a- issues in that kind of uh, decision, eh? Hey?
1: Mm. Well, it was a dem- what I was trying to demonstrate to Tasmania was that I think education, access to quality education, no matter what postcode you were born in, is the most important thing we can do in our state. Um, and I was trying to demonstrate that, I guess, through through that. Uh, I'm not sure I was entirely successful in the way I wanted to be in that, but um, I, I hope people remember me as, you know, as a Premier who was passionate about, particularly about public education. Uh, so, yes, I I actually did a um, computer science and pure maths degree Um, I'm horrified when my now uh, grade 10 daughter comes to me with her maths homework and I think, oh, I did do a pure maths degree at some point in time. Um, But, you know, finding the derivatives of a cubic equation these days is beyond me. Um, No, you have no love of algebra
0: um, and integrations? Oh,
1: oh, look, I do. I still do have a a deep love for maths. And in lots (laughs) of ways, maths, I think, fueled, you know, it's a great grounding in logic and in you know, the way and thoughts and systems and thinking things through, I think. So, so maths, in a weird way, helped my politics in lots of ways. But I really fell backwards into politics after spending, graduating, spending um, ten or oh, six or seven years in Melbourne, living and working. I really was passionate about coming back to Tasmania. And when I got back to Tasmania, which I'm mid to, mid to late 90s, I was, I guess, disappointed that nothing had changed and I still felt like it was a dig it up, chop it down kind of economy, um, you know, if it, if we can dig it up and we can chop it down, then it's good. And if it's, you know, it's not that, then it's not Tasmanian. And I've felt really frustrated, particularly after working in the tech sector in Melbourne for five or six years, coming back to that. Um, and I had the really good fortune just um, by accident almost, um, having a job in the public sector, which was running a innovation sector, so um, running a um I guess a grant scheme, an assistance scheme for startup companies in Tasmania, and I reported to a board, and on that board was the late and very great, in my view, um, uh, John Button, Senator John Button, Victorian Senator, Minister in the Hawke and Keating governments, of course, and he became a mentor to me. And one day I was complaining bitterly to him about the state of Tasmanian politics, and he said, "Well, son, if you think you can do better, join the Labor Party and get yourself elected." So I joined the Labor Party the next day. Having grown up in a family that was very conservative, probably never voted Labor in their lives, frankly. <laughs> um, they said they voted for me, but I never saw their ballots, so I'm not sure. Uh, um, they, uh, uh, you know, he basically said to me, look, if you if you, you know, don't sit around wasting your energy complaining, um, rather than focus on your sphere of concern, focus on growing your sphere of influence. Um, and oddly, in a really you know 7 years almost to the day after that conversation I became premier of Tasmania so it's uh, it was a kind of rapid rise and in some ways too rapid I'm not sure I was fully equipped for it when I got there but it comes to
0: you when it comes to you and 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 you deal with it there's look, that's an amazing story. There's so many ways to go with that. I mean, it sounds to me <laughs> like you had so many different interests at the outset. I mean, you've mentioned tech, innovation, um, computer science, maths. Um, also, you know, coming from the public service and not being like a lifelong label loyalist is also interesting, sort of like a different pathway mm. to, to power. So, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, mean I,
1: I was sorry,
0: no, go ahead, please. It wasn't, oh, a real I was question, really fortunate, though.
1: yeah. <laughs> I was fortunate, I think, and this is kind of why I think I am a lifelong journeyman. I I love to go on the adventure, is because I was so exposed to so many different things. You know, as I said, born to a 16-year-old mother but grew up in what I would call a pretty conservative Christian family. Um, And I'll never forget, you know, in my time in grade 10, I was, you know, I'd grown up in a very much a, yeah, conservative voting family, and the debate at the time in grade ten um, in Tasmania, of course, yet another environmental debate was about the building of the Franklin Dam in Tasmania, and my fa- and it's really split the island, it's split the communities as so many environmental issues have over many years, and you know the threat of the salmon industry going to do that again. I think in Tasmania over the next ten years, in some ways, um, my father, my foster father, was deeply, rabidly pro-dam, um, pro-hydro, anti-green, you know, we must build this dam. And that's what I heard at home. But I'll never forget the, um, the day that the High Court brought down the decision in favour of Bob Hawke, who had taken this to the High Court, um, that the Commonwealth effectively did have the right to stop the state from building this dam, this environmentally destructive and, frankly, would have bankrupted the state for, you know, the next 50 years kind of uh, dam. There was a teacher at uh, my high school, my public, local public high school, um, Mark Healy, who the moment I was, I think I may have been standing outside the principal's office for the umpteenth time, and he uh, came running out of the staff room and ran all the way down A Block, whooping and shouting with joy and clicking his heels, and it was just extraordinary. And and it was because the Franklin Dam had been saved, and it really, I just remember that moment so clearly because it lit in me the idea that, oh, There's other views here from people that I deeply respect, which I did in as a teacher, um, to my father's. (laughs) And it really lit me up. And I told that story to Bob Hawke, sitting next to Bob Hawke at the 25th anniversary dinner of Saving the Franklin. I went to that dinner as Premier. It was about three weeks after I'd become Premier. Most of the old stalwart, old guard in the Labor Party in Tasmania were horrified. That their young 40 year old Gen X premier was going to go and celebrate the saving of the Franklin with Bob Hawke and Bob Brown. Um, But I told that story to Bob Hawke and basically said that was the moment I got politically switched on to go, oh, maybe I'm not a conservative right winger that my family is. Maybe I've got different views. And I certainly do <laughs> and do, yeah. do and do
0: well you see i mean you referred to yourself kind of uh jokingly as a journeyman like in afl we call journeyman players who have gone to you yeah. know your third or fourth club and have never really established themselves other than the great martin <laughs> pike who won you know four flags but um you know you, i think one thing that stands out for me from your story is you've just exposed yourself to so many life experiences and different perspectives and people that you really made your own way um, but mm. you've you've kind of stayed true to your purpose and you've kind of followed uh, what you believe is the right thing to do. And that's sort of a thread that runs through from your political life. And maybe it's a good segue to talk about some of the things you've done afterwards or how you transition into a whole range of interesting roles um, in, in in chairman capacities, non-executive director roles, ministerial advisory councils, Charities, dynamic businesses, senior advisor at Naus. Look, I could go on. Your LinkedIn profile is pretty <laughs> uh, long, stellar, and hard to uh, bring into a little Google Doc. But go ahead. Uh, look, I, I like to say at the moment, you know, I am. I
1: feel like I'm two years in, and COVID was another big disruption. Of course, I'm two years into my fourth career, and um, my first career was very much, you know, what I described in Melbourne. A lot of dot com startups. Worked for Telstra. I you know, worked in the IT sector, was a CIO in the Department of Health and Human Services, came back to Tasmania. Um, then I had 10 years in politics. Um, both, uh, and I think you've heard me say this before, I've made the claim that I'm the only Australian to have been a public... A relatively junior public servant, a relatively senior public servant. I was acting deputy secretary of a department once. A ministerial advisor, I was chief of staff and senior advisor to the Tasmanian treasurer, David Crean. A backbencher, a minister, and a premier, and I've kind of seen the sausage factory of public policy, all that's good and bad with that, um, through all of those lenses. So that was my second career in ten years, and really another ten years. Then, starting when I stepped down from politics in two thousand and eleven, um, has been in startup tech companies, both as co-founder, director, chair. In more established tech companies, I'm chair of a uh, Australia, a New Zealand headquartered, but Australia New Zealand quite large tech company called Frond. But I've also had the deep belief that as next Premier, you have an obligation, and this is a lot of what my Bartlett family instilled in me, that, you know, you have an obligation to give back to your community, to do good charitable works is what they would call it. I wouldn't necessarily, but they would. Um, And so I really, uh, and being Premier leaves you with you know whether you were a good one or not a very good one, leaves you with a range of skills and also a range of the ability to open doors and things that people take your phone call if you've been an ex-premier that they might not otherwise and so on. Mm. So I've also, um, I spent four years as chair of the Brave Foundation, which was particularly pa- a passion um, work for me, um, working basically to give young mums um, the best start for their kids in life, but also uh, enabling young mums, teenage mums, essentially, to continue their educational journey. Um, we're not. It was not an organisation about choice, pro-choice, nothing like that. It was about once a young woman has decided that they are going to have this, go full term with this baby, um, then we stepped in and provided some really great assistance and great pathways for them to continue to be a good parent, give the kid the best start in life, but also... Um, to continue their own educational journey because that's generally what happens to young mums is they straight away at 16 or whatever drop out of school and, and therefore you have that kind of entrenched intergenerational disadvantage and challenge as well. Um, so I've worked there, I've worked in the arts, and really towards the end of that decade, um, I've always been passionate. Uh, I've always, no, I shouldn't say passionate, that's the wrong word, All my life I've played um, the round ball football and basketball. They were my two sports. Um, I went to Mount Nelson Primary where Darren Pritchard, three-time Hawks Premiership winner. Stop, stop. uh, I grade.
0: I'm getting too excited.
1: therefore, therefore therefore playing uh, AFL was not really my thing (laughs) Um, because there was a lot – there was uh, many, many other talented players at that school. But I did pick up football, as in round ball football and basketball, and played them all my life. And interestingly, sort of, you know, um, loved the game, loved the NBL when Tasmania had a team. And about 2016, got a knock on the door from Anthony Stewart, who's probably Tasmania's greatest ever male basketball player, played 495 games in the NBL and still the sixth greatest three-point scorer of all time in the NBL. Knocked on my door and said, look, the local club, the Hobart Chargers, that plays in the NBL 1, is in debt. We're going to go under. Can you come and help us? And I thought, ah, oh, here is some purpose. And at that time, my son um, was really getting into his basketball, um, despite his father's uh, lack of stature. My son was <laughs> six foot four at thirteen years old, or something, and so <laughs> basketball was his thing. He absorbed the purpose, the thing- David. <laughs> he did. Um, <laughs> I found it a great way of building something in a volunteer capacity again, but something that my son and I can do together and be passionate about. And and that was particularly important to me because. For well, the first seven and five years of my kids' lives, respectively, um, I was a minister or a premier, and so largely I was not. I was absent in lots of ways, and part of the reason I got out of politics. And so I went on this journey of building the Hobart Chargers um, basketball club and getting it out of debt and winning a national championship and a few other bits and pieces with who is now my great mate and business partner, Anthony Stewart. Um, it, it, we and but the I guess the. Part of that was we had a vision to um, create a get Tasmania NBL ready. We wanted an NBL team back here. And of course, um, I said we would make Tasmania NBL ready in three years. It took three years and three months for Larry Kessman to come and announce um, the expansion 10th team in the National Basketball League, the mighty jack jumpers who are just knocking on the door of finals in their very first season. So that's been a real joy for me. Um, you know, and and actually what it's lit me up and helped me understand is that sport, while I was never a great sports person, I loved playing sport, but seeing the world through the eyes of my now 18-year-old son, who is bright enough to go to uni, is on a, you know, but has no real interest in it, you know, he's just got an ATAR, is just leaving, uh, leaving grade 12, left grade 12 at the end of last year. Seeing the world through his eyes, what do you want to do, son? Well, I want to play basketball. Yeah, but what do you want to do, So, Well, I want to play basketball, Dad. Right, how do we create pathways for kids that are really inspired by their sport, whatever it is, Um, and how do we ensure that those pathways, because probably only 1% of these kids is going to play professional sport in their chosen sport, for the 99% of kids to see that sport as a pathway through to work, life and other opportunities, um, further learning opportunities, um, that motivates them and creates pathways for them. So that's the latest venture, uh, Swisher Hoops Academy, together with two great former pro, pro NBL players, Mark Nash and Anthony Stewart. We have a partnership with about 12 um, senior secondary colleges in Tasmania and the University of Tasmania. And our purpose, really, apart from we are a for-profit company, um, our purpose is to create Build and inspire pathways for kids to further success and further learning and work opportunities through basketball. And um, we basically created this thing just um, eighteen months ago. We opened a major facility just six months ago um, in the centre of Hobart, and it is we've got a tiger by the tail. It's out of control, <laughs> which is kind of how I like life. Yeah, it in sounds startup like startup land. It always feels a bit out of control, but this. Yep. Is- way out of control <laughs>
0: it's the uh, controlled yeah. chaos the excitement of the controlled chaos that's- well that's really exciting with swisher um it's incredible and what is the impact that you've kind of seen from what you're trying to do or what you're starting to do with um kids that you you know personally maybe your son maybe it's others but, but curious what the yeah. impact is that you're kind of hoping for and what you're sort of starting to see already
1: yeah so we have some in our partnership with the university of tasmania we have some kpis that we've struck with them and essentially they've given us some space and some assistance and so on along the way uh, in return for those. But one of those KPIs is we now have 300 grade 11 and 12 students in southern Tasmania only, but we're expanding to the north um, in the next three months and you'll see us on the mainland before too long. Um, the, we, we have 300 young students who are doing an athlete development program in grade 11 and 12, all of them passionate about their basketball Um, And now what we're doing with those pathways is using that to expose them to um, either a vet program after grade 12 or a university enrolment after grade 12. Um, And in doing that, we're creating a basketball club or, or I guess, a basketball program within the University of Tasmania that's modelled on US college basketball programs. Mm. Um, And so what you'll see is a lot of... We want to attract students from around Australia to come to the University of Tasmania. You know, there's about 300 Australian kids at the moment in US colleges on either scholarships or playing basketball in US colleges, and we want to attract some of those kids to stay in Australia, get a better degree, frankly, at the University of Tasmania, and pursue their basketball dreams. Um, And the first, so so we're we're at the beginning of that journey. Um, We're interviewing 300 kids right at the moment about, What is it? What do you want to do with your life kind of thing? And we're going to track them over the course of this year and next year about, you know, who chooses what and where their basketball passion takes them in terms of their lives. Maybe maybe two of those three hundred kids might end up playing professional basketball, but we really care about the other 298 and what they're going to do with themselves
0: yeah it's fascinating the the opportunities that are there beyond the sport as well and how to integrate that and it's a really um interesting almost intersectional perspective you know sport um adult life academia study mm. profession i'm curious about this wisher experience and whether there are, there are things that you've learned doing this that you wish you could have known oh. when you were premier <laughs> oh
1: well i've actually um i gave a. a, a as you know, I used to do a lot of keynote speaking around conferences pre-COVID and actually, you know, getting off the planes and getting off that, which was I really enjoy. I enjoy the performance of it. I enjoy sharing ideas with, with groups of people. That really turns me on. And so, you know, I loved doing it, but it just all disappeared in a heap. Um, you know, about two years ago, almost to the day. I, my agent rang me up and said, sorry, no gigs this year. So, I said, right, what am I going to do with myself? And you know, not spending all that time you know, on planes that's going back and forth to New Zealand or around Australia and what have you, gave me a lot of time to think about, well, what do I want to do for the next 10 years, if you like? What am I passionate about? What do I care about? And obviously, family is absolutely number one in that. And I also got a sense of I really deliberately, after leaving politics in Tasmania, looked for all sorts of opportunities outside of Tasmania. I didn't. I wanted to live here still, and I still love living here, and always will. Um, but I didn't really want to work here because you are a dual-edged sword when you're a Tasmanian premier. You can walk into any room, and if you're lucky, the if the polls are good, thirty-seven percent of the people think you're all right. The other think you're a dickhead or what have you. You know. So it's a. So it's kind of. I wanted to get away from that kind of goldfish bowl of, you know, um, under the microscope, as you are in a pretty small community like Tasmania. Um, and I wanted to get my kids out of that as well, you know, with my surname. They can't go anywhere <laughs> without people knowing who they are. Um, so so I, I spent a lot of time just doing a lot of things outside of Tasmania. But what really struck me when COVID hit and I stopped catching planes was, hmm, I'm over that. I actually want to be here and make the contribution to the place that I am most passionate about Tasmania, and I still absolutely believe Tasmania is at the intersection of some of the great sort of global trends that are happening at the moment: safe, clean environments. You know, add in high-speed telecommunications, add in um, global warming. When the rest of the country is on fire, and Tasmania is twenty-four degrees and fine. Add in great art, culture, history, food experiences, and frankly, I think Tasmania, you know, the next century really belongs to places like Tasmania on this planet. And um, I decided really two years ago, well, I want to be back making a contribution to that, and hence the start of the conversations with the University of Tasmania um, and and with the schools and so on. Now, one of the keynote speeches I was working on um, post winning that national championship for the Chargers was uh, 10 things I learned about leadership that I learned from, it's a long title, but yeah, that I learned from running a local basketball club that I wish I knew as Premier. And right at the heart of that, and that's why when you reached out to me and asked me to do this, at the absolute heart of that that I learned really, and I wish I'd been more conscious of it earlier in my life, is that purpose, everything flows from purpose. Purpose is everything. At a basketball club, you know, semi-professional, if you like, the NBL one is the VFL to the AFL, and that's the next year down. So semi-professional, you bring in Americans to play, you know, as your imports, you have the locals. That's so a bit of a mix. You generally volunteer run. You might have one or two paid staffs. So that's a hard slog. Board members are working really hard in volunteer mode. What I discovered was if you have a purpose as a basketball club that says something like, our purpose is to win basketball games, not that inspiring actually yeah we like to win games but really it's the players on the floor and the coach doing that um and if we're not winning games well hell what is our purpose then so we actually spent two or three months as a boarder when i joined this board as president of the club talking actively i made them talk actively about why do we exist what what is the purpose of this club why do we come and do what we do at this basketball club, and the first answer automatically is so we can win basketball games. And I kept saying, no, it's not. No, it's not. What's the purpose? And in the end, we actually wrote the purpose up on the um, on the wall of the meeting room, the board room that we had our committee meetings in, and it ended up being, I think I can remember it almost word for word, something like, uh, to build, grow, and inspire pathways and in communities through basketball. And when you really define that purpose. You really deeply understand it and adhere to it. It actually makes every decision around a club that's $130,000 in debt, um, you know, going down the gurgler and crowds dwindling and all of those sorts of things. To make the decision, every decision you have to make is tough, but if you've got that guiding light of purpose I discovered and late in my life I <laughs> discovered, that it just makes every decision so much easier. And fast forward. Two three year eight, two years into the three year plan, I had to be NBL ready. We went from an average crowd of 200 people. We had four and a half thousand people, the biggest ever crowd to an NBL one game ever in the history of the league. Um, watch our preliminary final; we won the 2018 national championship. So we were still winning games, but we had ev- and what we built was we would we would basically um, had 15 to 17 thousand kids through our school clinics, groups and so on that was costing the club money to do. But what it did was build this platform for success and for passion and for volunteerism and for all of this stuff. And there was, yeah, there really felt like there was purpose about it. And if, if there's one thing, Grant, it's a long answer to your question, uh, but if there's one thing that I wish I knew or more deeply understood as Premier that I've learned since through basketball is that Everything in an organisation flows from purpose. And if you really deeply understand your purpose, everything becomes
0: easier. That's so well said and very profound. And, um, yeah, I mean, look, everything that I do has very much been shaped by that. And I think it's really interesting to hear you reflect that um, back. And I wonder... um, not on the purpose note, but more on the time management or project management side of things, when you're doing as many things as you're doing kind of consistently and sort of looking look at your portfolio of work, what kind of systems or, you know, things do you have in place to control that flow as best you can mm. so that you've got time with family and time to be present, you know, in Tasmania where you love to be?
1: Mm. I really set myself a golden rule when I left politics. It took me a couple of years to be able to build up enough sort of work if you like in the portfolio that I could afford to do this because I'd never really been around for my kids school holidays and things like that or I'd be dragging them to you know political appearances and what have you um I set myself a real goal for that 10, first 10 years out of politics of being, of taking the school holidays off with my kids my my wife went back to study and did a PhD so it was kind of it's mum's turn now and that was part of. We wanted to demonstrate to the kids that it's not just about dad having a career and following him around. It's mum's turn, and she did a PhD in, in fact, in uh, mindfulness based stress reduction, and she's now a researcher in that space and in dementia and so on, and uh, the effects of meditation on um, stress and um, as a prophylactic for other things like post stress, uh, post traumatic stress disorder, and so on. So it was really her turn, which meant that, yes, I was travelling a bit on planes, but when I was home in in Tasmania for that 10 years, I did no work at all, or I tried to do no work. And that meant I was, you know, the kids were still in primary school. I was picking them up from school every day. I was cooking the dinners. I was doing all the stuff that I'd missed out on while I was in politics. So that was really important, and I'm really glad I did it because I got that kind of... You know they're eighteen and sixteen now, and frankly, who wants to know dad or hang out with dad? But I got I got from kind of seven and five through to you know sixteen and fourteen. They were dad's years, and I really that was really important to me. Um, they I, I I said it's the one thing Tasmanians actually remember me for. And when I quit, they all got angry with me because I think they wanted to they never got the chance to throw me out. I quit before they got to vote me out. So I think there was a bit of pent up <laughs> anger about that. But the one thing I still get raised with me in the street, oh, I remember what you said about 13 summers. And it was that I said, someone had said it to me when the day I first got elected and my son was really, uh, well, hadn't been born yet. She said to me, um, just remember this, you only get 13 summers with your children. Um, and after that, they don't want to know you they're off doing something else you know they've got their own friends sort of thing so use those 13 summers and in a Tasmanian context where summer's really important um you know use those 13 summers well and I really felt like I'd missed out on the first seven or eight summers with my kids so I actually said this in my press conference when I resigned um you know you only get 13 summers with your kids and I've got to go and catch up with my uh, 13 summers because I'm seven behind <laughs> um and it's really interesting to me that that's the one. Probably the most common thing people when they bump into me and say, "Oh, you're brother. I remember that thing you said about thirteen summers, and I've tried to apply it in my family." So, and I really desperately tried to apply it here, and it's been that's been great. You're a bit older now, um, you know. Like any family with teenagers, you're a bit more scattered to the four winds. But I've got to say, the last two years have been fabulous for me, not being on planes because again. I can do this. I can go to the next room and I've been delivering programs, different things that pay my bills, if you like, around Australia, around New Zealand. I've been doing board meetings all over the country, all online. I think, you know, this is accelerated. I think in lots of ways um, this has, while the human contact, in fact, I'm going to Melbourne next week to deliver the Gain the Policy Edge program for the first time <laughs> face-to-face in three years, or uh, well, thereabouts, two and a half years, um, and I'm really looking forward to being in the room with 40 people and actually having some human interaction. But there's a lot of things we can do via uh, online that make our lives, I think, give us more free time, potentially, to do those things we love. Just back, you know, we were fortunate in Tasmania to be out of lockdown, you know, 18 months ago, and we haven't been back in, except for one short, sharp three-day lockdown in, um, I think it was October last year. and because some guy came from Melbourne wouldn't tell the police where he'd been or something. Um, so in a short, sharp three-day lockdown, I remember going out for a walk with my daughter along um, sort of major thoroughfare here outside you know, a few blocks from our house, and there was families and people out swimming and people, you know, in the river and walking and riding their bikes and dogs and and... My daughter, I think, very astutely said to me, oh, there should be a three-day lockdown every three months, shouldn't we? That you know, because <laughs> you could actually see that families were getting back together." Now, yeah. I know that's hard to say when you've lived through it in Melbourne, and <laughs> three days doesn't sound like any. You don't want to go back there ever <laughs> again. I totally understand. <laughs> that. But, 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 I think you know we've got to look at this COVID period, and certainly for my life, it's disrupted my life, it's changed my life, but it's. But I'm coming out the other end of it going, you know what? I'm doing something different now, and I'm enjoying that. Now, managing all the things I want to do is I'm 54 now, and I honestly, for the first time in my life, had that sort of sense of, ah, oh, time's running out. I've got so many more things I want to do. You know, I want to have five, 6 six, ten-year careers of adventure in different things. I've got loads of things more that I want to do. I don't know how many big jobs I've got left in me though is the question about energy and time and, and all of those sorts of things. So, you know, Swisher, Swisher basketball is the passion at the moment. It's a great journey and I'm doing a lot of other things that kind of pay the rent, pay the bills. Um, but the things with purpose like Swisher are the things that get me out of bed in the morning and get me energetic.
0: Yeah, so purpose being central guiding um, principle and deciding what you're going to do next for your next chapter. And I think, um, you know, your and time, but your your life for me is very much a quote that my wife loves to tell me about when I'm struggling a little bit or trying to decide what to do next. She, she always says, "Consider the road less traveled," the old Robert Frost mm. um, adage. Yeah. Yours is certainly the road less traveled, but I think it's really interesting the way that you've um, you've you've almost constructed these periods um, where you commit to something in full as chapters, and so. Mm. But I don't know many people whose chapter is, you know, um, set yourself seven years to become premier and then, you know, go and do the other great things. And what would your advice be to other people about sort of unconventional ways about thinking about time and um, purpose and use of capabilities to to um, useful ends?
1: Yeah, So it's the same advice I give, to, try to give my kids. I think they're sick of hearing it. But I don't know whether they've heard it. Um, is, well, number one, be kind because kindness opens opportunities. And when op- opportunities open up, um, grab them with both hands and go on the adventure. You know, if the truth be told, I, I look back at my. You know, twenty-year-old self leaving in university. I had no clue. I wasn't particularly great academically. You know, I got a pretty average degree with a bunch of passes. You know, I really did, and really, I was forced into that by my parents, my foster parents, who were deeply committed to education. Um, and I thanked them for that because I wouldn't have done it otherwise. Uh, but I had no clue, really. What am I doing? Either? No real particular passion. But what I discovered pretty early on, when I first got my first, you know, career job out of out of, with a degree out of university, was, uh I'm actually pretty good with people. I like people; they quite like me, and if I'm nice to them, they're nice to me. <laughs> and it was kind of a, it was, you know, it was out of that school mode, out of that book learning mode, and suddenly the kind of world just opened up for me, and I really just pursued every opportunity that was presented to me. Went on lots of dead ends, adventures as well, as you do. Um, but as I say to my kids, you know, you, well, you know, I better quote the the, the basketball, uh, you know, the Michael Jordan basketball quote is now, I've, I've been asked something along the line, I've been asked to take the last shot of the game, you know, 1,400 times, I've missed 750 times, you know. Like, you've yeah. got to put yourself out there, you've got to, you know. Well,
0: the other one is, yeah, yeah. You, miss, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take.
1: That's uh, that as well. That's it. So yeah, put yourself out there, but also be open to the new experiences and the adventure. And not all the experiences are going to be the ones you want. And it's okay to go. Eh, not really enjoying this. I'm going to go and do something else. I think that's a really tough thing. I, I, to be honest, I look around a lot of my contemporaries, if you like, guys I went to school with, and in, in Tasmania because it's a small community. You know where they all are. That's the other thing I say to my kids is, if you want to live in Tasmania, be nice to the other kids at school because you're going to end up working with them somewhere or um, what have you. Uh, and I I've, I, really feel for a lot of them because I feel like they're trapped in that kind of middle stage of their career, still got 10, 15 years of work to go. They're not certain about what the purpose of that is anymore. Um, and i think it's really challenging and i I'm so, I'm so grateful so grateful the opportunities i've got that i'm not in that position because i think it's a hard place to be when you get to 50 54 which i am and go you know what what am i what what is the purpose of all this what is what did i try to set out to do and honestly all i've ever tried to set out to do is go on the adventure and hopefully have a positive impact on
0: some other people's lives along the way what a brilliant note to finish up on. Um, where can people learn more about you uh, and your work and um, maybe just about Swisher also and how can they, they connect with you personally if they wish to do so?
1: Yeah, I'm, I welcome that absolutely. Um, so I'm on LinkedIn. You can always find me there and um, connect. You'll find me all over the social media platforms actually. Love the Twitter. Use... <laughs> Twitter is kind of it has become a bit of basketball. It's often politics. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's of politics basketball. Facebook is you know family and friends. Instagram is you know food pic. <laughs> no, actually, Instagram is is usually fanboy basketball pictures of me with someone <laughs> that I deeply admire. Uh, and LinkedIn is um, really yeah really happy to connect on all of those platforms. Um, and yeah, for i'm I'm really interested in people who are going on the journey. Um, you know, I see Swisher with purpose, but also as a sports tech company. While we've got physical facilities, we're actually starting to develop some tech around that, data analytics, motion analytics, a whole range of different other things. So I'm really interested in connecting with people who are interested in uh, sports tech, um, and education ultimately at the at the core of everything I'm interested in. It is how do we get, give the opportunities um, to young people in Australia, no matter what postcode they are born in, to have the benefits of education that I've had.
0: And what's the Swisher website?
1: Uh, swisher.com, www.swisher.com, but Swisher is spelled two R's on the end. So it's, uh, you know, a bit onomatopoeic, Swisher, as the ball goes through
0: the net. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic hey uh hang on a second we'll have a little debrief but thank you so much for joining me today
1: thanks mike it's been great to be with you
0: if you enjoyed this episode make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player and why not share it with a friend or two if you want more from your humans of purpose experience become a humans of purpose member today through our new platform supercast all you need to do is hit the link in our show notes If you have a message to share with our audience about your brand, products or services, we have a wide variety of paid promotional packages available. Please get in touch by hitting the link in our show notes.